0: We're going to read the Bible together. Can can I get you guys to open up your Bibles, please? And we're in the middle of a series in the book of Mark, and so we're going to open up to the book of Mark, chapter 3. Mark, chapter 3, verse 7 all the way through to 19. Mark chapter 3, verse 7 through to 19. I'll read this for us. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem and Edomia, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Verse 13. And he went up onto the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. And have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve: Simon, James, the son of Zebedee, and, the, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, the son of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Amen.
1: Hello, hello, Can you hear me? Can you guys hear me? All right. Thank you, Peter. Um, you know, only a few weeks ago, uh, we spent two Sundays, uh, I don't know if you were here, talking about rest. Right? Do you guys remember? So last week was back to Mark, but two weeks before that, we talked about rest. That's why we have these chairs. A lot of the ministries rested. And uh, even though we've only been off that topic for one Sunday... We're actually going to revisit it today, right? It happens to be that in the verses that we're at in Mark, uh, we're going to talk about the precious of life and the rest that we can find in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but for me, it was like perfect timing that we come back to rest. Because, you know, during the two weeks that we talked about rest, even for me, like I was like reminded and blessed. I was like, yeah, I need to rest in Jesus. And then it just took one week for me. I don't know about you, one week and I'm just back to busy living Uh, running around, uh, a lot of stress again on my shoulders, forgetting uh, Jesus, right? And I'm meant to rest in him, but I'm too busy doing these other things. And so for me, at least, coming back to rest is like this uh, gentle, perfectly timed, rebuking reminder. Hey, do you remember we talked about rest? Right, remember to rest, right? So we're gonna go back to rest just for today. And if there ever was a person that um, understood The busyness of life. If there ever was a person who felt the pressures of all the tasks that needed to be done and was hounded by just all these people wanting things from them, it would be Jesus. When you think about the life of Jesus, he may have been, and I think he was, maybe the busiest person to have ever lived in this world. That's Jesus. And we're going to look at this Jesus today as we go to Mark 3. Now, we took a pause uh, from the Gospel of Mark back in March, and we revisited it from last week. We'll be here until the end of July, at least. And what we're finding here, uh, as we come to chapter 3, is that Jesus has gained a lot of um, attention. Uh, Some of the good, uh, some of the attention is from people that really just don't like Jesus. There's been some controversial things that have happened. He's got attention, he's got opposition, but there's a lot of things, uh, a lot of spotlight that's placed on Jesus. Right, and so we're going to come to the first point of two, and we find a pressured Jesus, right? a Jesus that is pressured. Right? Jesus reminds me of this quote from a commercial. It's an old commercial. It happens to be an Apple commercial. Um, the commercial goes, Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the trou- troublemakers, the round pegs and the square holes, the ones who th- see things differently. They're not fond of rules. You can quote them, disagree with them, Glorify or vilify them. But the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. Right? I think of Jesus when I, when I hear this. right? There are people who, who glor- are glorifying Jesus as he's preaching and doing these miracles. There are others who are vilifying him. They hate him. But no one can ignore him. Right? That's where we find Jesus. There's a lot of attention on Jesus because of his teaching, his healings, his casting out of demons. But with this increased attention, and increased opposition, there's increased expectation from all of these people. He, he is, as I said, being pressured all the time from all these people, from all over the place, demanding all these different kinds of things, nonstop, swarming him, right? If you go to verse seven, we see the quantity of the people that are chasing him. Verse seven, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him, right? Quantity, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of people. And these people came from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And so there's a sense in which Jesus wants to step away from all the attention. In verse 7, it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. It's like he wants to take a step away from all that's going on, but even then, the crowd is still following him. And it's naming a whole bunch of different places. It starts with Galilee, right? That was the hometown place of Jesus' ministry. And then from there, it goes south, east, northwest. And as we keep reading, it spreads out further and further and further. Right? From beyond the Jordan. It includes places like Tyre and Sidon that are places where uh, Gentiles live, non-Jewish people. Right? Even the non-Jews are hearing about Jesus. Right? The way that it's being written is trying to give us this, this image that everyone from all over the place, spreading further, are hearing about Jesus and even they have come to follow Him. Right? Some commentators, they insist that this number is hundreds of thousands of people are following Jesus. At this time, there are so many people that it says in verse 9 Jesus told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. Jesus knows that if he's not careful, he might be crushed to death. He's gone viral before social media was a thing. And as his fame grows, so does a crowd, he's like a celebrity. And like a celebrity, there's a real risk that the mob might just surround him. Like, you know, I don't know if you've been to a concert or you've been to like a premiere or something, or some famous comes. I shared, you know, my some story of seeing Ryan Reynolds. Right? People just like get into like this frenzy. And it's like, ah! Right? They get really excited. It's kind of like people start crying and stuff. It's like a little bit weird. Right? People get really like frenzied when they see like a celebrity. And that's the situation with Jesus. There's a real risk that he might be crushed to death. And so he asks his disciples, have a boat ready. It's like, get a getaway vehicle, keep the engine running, just in case we need to get out of here. Right? That's the situation. And the kind of crowd and the quantity of the crowd that's here. You know, a lot of celebrities, they struggle with this pressure. You know, they want to be famous and then they get famous and they don't like it. Because they can't walk around on the street. They can't just sit down and eat at a restaurant no matter where they go, they're constantly being watched. People are taking photos of them. Right? What they say, what they do is being scrutinized by people around them, right? They don't like that. All of that pressure is hard. And Jesus has this kind of pressure around him, right? Our pressured Jesus. But not only was his pressure hard because there's a quantity of people but that is multiplied by the very low quality of the people in that crowd. Right? I'm going to show you a matrix. Okay? I put this graph together. Okay, If you're going to mix high qual- the quantity and quality, you've got four different options. Right? The, the one that you want is, is on the top left. I put it in light color and big font just to make it easier. That's what you want. Right? If, if, if you're a leader, you want a high quantity of high quality people right if we're a church a high quantity of high quality people that's the dream that's what we want if you can't get high quantity well at least low quality of high quality that's second best right just a, a few really passionate people who love Jesus that's awesome right that's second best do you get that does that make sense now third if if you can't get quality if you're going to get low quality well then you want low quantity that's the one on the bottom right cuz that's manageable Right, just a few people who are horrible people, right, we can manage that, we can work with that. The one that you don't want, the one that Jesus has, is that dirty, dark-colored, small font one that I put up there. A high quantity of low-quality people, right, that's stressful. It's a lot of pressure, it's a lot of demands, right, you're going to burn out. That's what Jesus has. Tens or if not hundreds of thousands of people chasing him of very low quality. You know, the group of people that make up, you know, the crowd, you could categorize them into three categories. And I'll just go through them briefly. Right, this isn't all of them, but these are the main groups. Number one, you have the Pharisees. In verse 6, right, the verse right before where we started reading from, it says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus. They're trying to figure out how to destroy him. So I said in Mark chapter 1 and 2, there's been controversy, controversy. There's a lot that's been happening. And it it leads to verse 6, right? It escalates to a point where the religious leaders they're having meetings of how to kill Jesus. I said there's a group of people that are following Jesus who want to kill him. They think he's blasphemed against God, he hangs out with sinners, he's broken the Sabbath. He doesn't care about God's rules. He needs to die. I just want you to imagine. At your work, you're leading a team. You're leading a growth group or a ministry. Imagine you're a pastor of a church and there's a group in in your team that wants to kill you, okay? A little bit stressful, right? That's what Jesus is going through. This group is constantly watching him, listening, following him, not because they like him, but because they hate him. Not because they want to help him, but because they want to kill him. They want him to mess up so they can step in and go, ha, right? you deserve to die. That's scary. You know, the sad truth is sometimes in churches there are people exactly like that. Just sitting there, not to receive, but to judge, and to, to, just waiting to find something to fail so they can say, ha, I told you. Right, Just waiting. I hope that's none of us here. Right? I don't think that's any of us here. That's the first group, the Pharisees. They hate Jesus. The second group, the miracle chasers. Verse 9, Jesus told his disciples, have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. So one part of the crowd is a group of people who are diseased, but they're chasing Jesus because they just they want to get something from him. That phrase, pressed around to touch him, it talks about wild disorder. It's like a frenzy, like I talked about. People shoving and falling over each other, just, just trying to get to Jesus. You know, we, we don't have it here. We have Black Friday, but it's not as intense as, you know, Black Friday in America. I don't know if you've heard about it or you've seen clips of Black Friday in America. That's wild disorder. Right? You've got these clips of people who get into a frenzy like a pack of wild animals who've smelt blood. And they just, they're just rushing. They kind of lose themselves just, just to get that thing on sale. And people actually die and get crushed to death by the crowd. And that, That's kind of what we're seeing here. These diseased people in a wild disorder, in a frenzy, like wild animals, just trying to touch Jesus, get closer to Jesus. I mean, these guys are diseased. They should be practicing social distancing, like what's going on? But they're just pressing into Jesus, just wanting to touch him. You know, they don't care. They don't care about Jesus. They're pursuing him, not because they love him, and not because they hate him like the Pharisees, but just because they love themselves. And they just want to get something from him. They love what he might give to them, not him, himself. You know, people who love Jesus don't crush him to death. They don't love him. They just want to get something from him. know, a few verses later, in verse 20, it says that Jesus went home and the crowd gathered again so that the Jesus and his disciples so that they could not even eat. But Jesus goes home in verse 20, but the crowd follows and they can't even eat. They won't even let Jesus eat. Right? They don't care about him. They don't care about him eating. Just give me what I want. Again, sometimes you find groups like that in the church. People who are here not because they love Jesus. Not because they love the leadership or love the people around them. They just love themselves. They're just here to ask, what what can you give me? How can you serve me? How can you bless me? Right? That's a sad reality. And again, I don't think there's any one of us here like that. But if you feel that in your heart, you know, that's not where you want to be. We're here to give, serve, to love Jesus, right? And to be there to represent him. If you're a non-believer here, it's kind of understandable that you're coming to church because you want to get something. That's fine as a non-believer. But when you become a Christian, that should change in your heart. So that's the second group. The first group is people who hate Jesus, the Pharisees. The second group are people who love themselves, the miracle chasers. And the third group, you've got these evil spirits. Verse 11. And whenever the unclean spirits, so the unclean spirits is in Mark, his way of talking about the demonic-possessed spirits, right? Demonically-possessed people, right? They've got demonic spirits or evil spirits. When the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before Jesus and they cried, you are the Son of God, and he strictly ordered them not to make him known. These evil spirits aren't just floating around, they're, they're possessing people. So it's people with evil spirits, right? Just to make clear. Uh, but Mark doesn't talk about people possessed with evil spirits. He, he talks about evil spirits. It's like he wants to, emph- he wants to emphasize the, 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 the badness of this crowd. And he just says evil spirits. Right? These evil spirits are here who obviously don't love Jesus. They love Satan, right, the enemy. And they're there with Jesus as well. Again, imagine a church filled with these three categories of people. Imagine a group, your team, and one category, they want to kill you, one category, they just want something from you, and the other category, you know, they love the devil, okay? Something like that. This is the crowd that's following Jesus. High quantity, low quality, incredible pressure and stress all the time. And maybe the saddest part of it all is that the, the group that knows who Jesus really is are the evil spirits. Right? No one else really knows who he is, but they would never bend his knee to him. You know, I think anyone else in the shoes of Jesus would have given up with just this immense pressure and burden and expectation and never being able to be by yourself and have your alone time and hounded by all these people and complaints and all of these things all the time. But he doesn't. And if you're feeling the pressures of life today, you just got out of a hard week, you're going to jump into another one. This is what I want you to know. My first point, this is all I want you to know. I want you to know that Jesus gets you. Jesus gets you. He understands what it is to live a life that is pressured. He understands what it is when people have incredible expectations for you. He understands what it is for people to just want to take from you, who need from you, who want from you. He understands what it is to feel like you don't have enough time to even eat or to have your alone time. He knows what it is to live a life that is pressured. Jesus is our pressured Jesus. And he knows that life. Where every thought and word and decision is scrutinized by the people around you. He knows exactly that life. In his humanity... Jesus was God, yes, but he was fully human. And in his humanity, he knew what it felt to live that life. And he gets you. I want you to know that. That the Jesus that we are invited to pray to and find rest in, he's not some distant God who's like, "Mm, I don't really get that, but okay, you can just stay with me. He understands the pressured life. And so I want you to find comfort in the presence of a Jesus who knows what it feels like to be pressured by life's demands. When you pray, you know, just just remind yourself that the one you pray to is that God, the God who gets me. Jesus, you know what I'm feeling. You know these emotions. You know how I I just feel spent and I'm at the end of myself. You you know what this feels like. And just just find comfort in the fact that the one that you're talking to knows exactly what you're going through. Jesus pressured Jesus, he gets you. I don't know if you noticed, but that that, that line, Jesus pressured Jesus, is a play on the song we just sang. We sang a song, Jesus, precious Jesus. We could sing that song and replace the word, I didn't make this up, by the way, I read it. Um, you could replace the word pressure, precious with pressured, and that song would still be true. He was a pressured Jesus, pressured, right, with immense burden. Despite this, though, Jesus, who was busier and more pressured than any of us, he was faithful. He didn't burn out. Right? He, he kept you know, following the, the path that God had laid before him. And so how did he do that? And that's my next point. Next next slide. Right, we're just going to go with it. Jesus, precious Jesus. Right? We're going to go to verse 13 to verse 19. So what did Jesus do? Right, how did Jesus not burn out? He did these four things, and I'm just going to go through these four things. Oh, was oh, it that? Then you can, you might have to stand there. <laughs> Number one. Right, he got away. Verse 13. He went up on the mountain, right? That's, that's the first thing he did. Mountains throughout the Bible are very significant. They're places of meeting with God, but they're also places of solitude, right? Throughout the Bible, people like Moses or you know, leaders would go up to the mountain to find solitude, right? Mount Sinai is one of those famous mountains where people would go to do that. And so despite being God, Jesus being fully man, feeling the pressures of life, would often throughout the Gospels Go somewhere to be by himself. He would do that a lot of times. Right? For one example. Oh, yes, Mark 6. Mark 6, verse 31. Jesus said to them, his, Jesus in Mark 6 tells his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. Right? That's a place where nothing is there. And rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. In this passage, Jesus is inviting his disciples who, are, you know, doing a lot of work, and he says, "Look, guys, 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 just take a break. Let's get away from the crowds. Right? go over there in that desolate place where no one is and nothing to do, and just rest and eat. But right? eat, guys. You know, there's this image that it's spiritual to be so busy that you don't get enough sleep, and it's so spiritual to, you know, I don't have time to eat, as if that's like a godly thing." Right, for those of us who grew up in the Korean church, you might have, like, seen that, right? I, I felt that burden in the Korean church where it's like, you know, it's like a badge of honor when you start getting blood coming out of your nose. It means you've really pushed yourself, like, good on you. But Jesus cares that we rest and that we eat. And there are times when we need to get away and take a break, right? We find that here. We need to be humble enough to acknowledge that this rhythm of rest in my life is necessary. That I'm not superhuman. That I have limits. And I need to take a break, get away, rest, eat, and find some solitude. The fact that we spend a third of our lives asleep should remind us that we were made, at least on this side of heaven, we were made to rest. And we need it. Mind, body, also spiritually. But maybe most importantly, what getting away gives us is the second one. We get to pray. Even though this passage in Mark, it doesn't specifically say Jesus prayed, there's a parallel passage in Luke chapter six, right? It's, It's exactly the same story. It says, In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. And then the rest of Luke, he chooses his disciples, like in our passage today. Again, we see throughout the Gospels, I could throw maybe a dozen verses up here, of Jesus going somewhere by himself to pray, over and over again throughout his ministry. Perhaps the most convicting is that the busier Jesus got, it feels like the more he prioritized prayer. Whenever there was a big moment or a big decision or a big period of ministry, he would go off to pray. And again, this feels counterintuitive because I've talked about this, the busier we get, the less time we feel like we have for prayer. And we, we kind of put prayer away because I'm so busy, I don't have enough time to pray. But the humble acknowledge that we need God. And so the busier my life gets... The more I need God in more things. And so the more I need to pray. Does that make sense? We need to be there, humble, acknowledging we need God. So the busier I am, the more I need to pray. And So in our passage, even though the crowd was hounding him, Jesus sneaks off, up to a mountain, and he prays all night. He knows that the best way to serve people is to sometimes get away from people and to rejuvenate. And if Jesus being the eternal son needed to pray, Jesus being the son of God has a perfect relationship with the father, still needs to be nourished in in the presence of the father, how much more do we as adopted sons and daughters? We need the time away to rest physically and mentally, but more important, that time away affords us time to pray. And in that place, on that holiday, on that week off, on the two days off, whatever it is, we pray. That might not be all you do, but if you're going to take a, a week-long holiday, I want to encourage you, put prayer in there. Right? Make it a priority somewhere along the way. That's when we can have our focused, deep time with God in Christ. So in your business, seek this Jesus. I said a few weeks ago, let him carry the weight and let him do the work. Right? Be yoked to him. The third thing Jesus does is that he journeyed with others. He went up on the mountain, he called to him those whom he desired. He picks people and they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him. It's a great thing to have friends that you can turn to when life is pressured, but it's an even more beautiful thing to have fellow Christian friends. Christian brothers and sisters that you can turn to when life gets pressured. Because they agree with you that Jesus is precious. They have the same priorities and ethics and things that they're living for. And one of the things we get when we become Christians is that we get to follow Jesus. That's one thing. But we also get the followers of Jesus. We get the fellow followers around us. We get them as we, we get Jesus. So when you become a Christian, you don't just get Christ, but you get church. And he saves us into this. This is the way it's meant to be. That's why we invite people on live stream to join us, because it's not just about you getting Jesus, it's about you getting community. We were made for this. We are made to journey with others. And so when life gets pressured and difficult, it's a beautiful thing to have someone to speak to that understands my struggles, and someone who can speak into me, who values the same things that I do, scripture, Christ, prayer, community, church, whatever, they are to speak to me in that kind of framework and people to share this journey with. If Jesus, again, if Jesus, the Son of God, didn't do it alone, who are we to think that we can live life serve church, lead teams, or do ministry alone. We're made to need God and need other people. And I know some of us, we've settled, we've been um, as a church plan existing for about five months. Some of us were really comfortable with uh, coming to Sunday service and sitting here, um, listening, singing, and then leaving and that's about kind of all that your commitment has been. And it's, it's, I'm, I'm very thankful that you're here. Right? I don't want you to understand. I'm so thankful that you're here and that you're giving church a go maybe. Uh, maybe um, you gave up in church was giving it another go. I'm so thankful that you're here. But I just want to encourage you. Uh, maybe now is the time for you to you know, kind of step out of your comfort zone and get into other people's lives and let them into yours. Because you are made for this. Journey. Together with us, not just sitting on a Sunday, but we want to run together this race. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what the next step is. Maybe I just throw out a few examples. Maybe hang out for snacks. That might just be like the, the next thing that you do for a month. And it's scary. I'm scared to go to the snack table and you know, eat. I'm like, I don't want someone to talk to me, and no one talks to me. Um, but you know, if you go there, just grab a snack and just stay for five minutes. Maybe you can just go to one person every week and say, "Hello, I am. What brought you to Kingsway?" Right, just that. Hello, you know what brought you to Kingsway? Right? Well, why are you here? Did you go to church before? You know, is this the first time at church? Right, just strike up a conversation. That's it. You can go home if you do that. Um, can you let me know and I'll, I'll shake your hand. I don't know. If you've got no one to talk to, come talk to me. Okay. A lot of times I have no one to talk to. Hang around for snacks. Number two. Join our next event. We just had a great event yesterday, Equip Women's Conference, um, where people sat under the word, got to know one another. They ate food together. I uh, heard great things about it. Um, but it would have been great if there were more people there. Right? I can see a bunch of people that if you were there, I think you would have gained so much from. We've got retreat sign-ups coming up soon. Come to our retreat, right? So join our next event. Or maybe the third thing, join a growth group. We had mid-weeknight gatherings every week in the middle of the week on a night, at someone's house usually, where we hang out, we study the Bible, we pray, and we just try to help each other love the King and live His way. That's what we're doing, helping each other love the King and live His way. And I assure you, if you join a growth group with a committed heart, that you will gain so much out of it. And out of maybe one or two months in being in growth group, the way that you feel about King's Way will change. But if you feel like you don't belong here, joining a growth group will go in a huge way of changing that feeling, right? You do belong here, by the way. It's just that you don't feel it, but that will change that, okay? So number three, journey with others. Lastly, Jesus focused on what matters. One incredible trait of our Lord Jesus is that he had like a laser focus on what he was on earth to do, and nothing else around him would distract him from that purpose. So, verse 13, he went up on a mountain. He called to him those whom he desired. They came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so they might be with him. That's the journey with others. And that he might send them out to preach. It would have been so easy, I think, for Jesus to be tempted to just make sure that the crowd stayed big. In a lot of churches struggle with this, pastors struggle with this, that when the size gets big, it becomes about keeping the size big because we want to stay as a big church and let's just entertain people and let's just do what it takes to make the crowd big. But Jesus doesn't care about those kinds of things. He knows what he's here for. He's here to make disciples and preach the gospel So he goes away from the crowd, he chooses the 12, he makes them his disciples, and then he sends them off to preach the gospel and make more disciples. He he focuses on the task at hand. We see this in Mark 1 as well. In Mark 1, Jesus' ministry has just started. He's just healed and preached and cast out demons, and people are starting to recognize him. And in verse 35, it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. So this is number one, time away. And there he prayed. That's number two, prayer. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Here's the temptation. Jesus, everyone's looking for you. If you would just step out and meet them, they'd be so happy. The crowd will be so happy. you will be exalted. They'll make much of you. Everyone's looking for you. And this is what he says in verse 38. He said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. I love that. They've been looking for him like, Jesus, Jesus, there's like 100 people waiting in the hall over there. They're just waiting for you. And Jesus goes, yeah, that's nice, but I'm going to go over there. We're going to move on. Because I'm not here to gather crowds. I'm here to make disciples and preach the gospel. So I'm going to go over there and we're going to do it over there. That's incredible, right? I'm sure a lot of people were hurt. Maybe some of the crowd left him. But Jesus knew what he was there for. He knew what mattered most in the eyes of God. And he was focused on that. You know, I think for us as well, in life in general, we get busy because we we don't have the focus we don't know what we we're, we're here for and so we're just adding more and more things to do we're saying yes to everything when really we should be saying no to a lot of things so we can say yes to that which matters most and i don't know what it is for you i'm not i'm not saying that god's going to come to every single one of us and say this is what I want you to do right now. I want you to start a business and I want you to go to America and I want you to, you know, I'm not saying that's what God wants us to do. But we got the Bible. The Bible tells us what God wants us to do. Every single one of us, 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verse three, he wants us to be sanctified. What that means is he wants us to grow as Christians. That's true for every single one of us. So if you don't know what you're doing in life, that's what he wants you to do. He wants you to grow as a Christian. You take that. You take the season of life that you're in. Did you just start work? Are you studying? Did you just get married? You just have kids. Take that into account because that probably means you're going to have to say yes to some things and no to a whole bunch of other things. Right? Use wisdom and talk to people and then you just decide. You decide what you believe God wants you to focus on right now. And so that might mean as a new husband, you say no to some recreational stuff so that you can focus on your family. It might mean as a new parent, right? you, you can't watch Netflix, or I don't know what it is, you can say no to certain things so you can focus on what matters most. Right? As someone starting a new job, you can't hang out with your friends as much as you used to because you want to be a good employee for the glory of God. But you just figure out what it is that God is doing in your life, say yes to that, and say no to a whole bunch of things. Right? Maybe that'll help you not feel so pressured. You know, Kingsway. What we're doing for the latter half of the year is we're saying yes to, you know, a couple of things, and we might say no to a bunch of things. What we're saying yes to is we're looking for quality. I shared this in the members meeting, we want better. We want better before bigger. So we don't want quantity, we want quality. If we're the low-quantity crowd with high quality, well, that's our goal. Does that make sense? And so when we launched, we had a lot of people coming in from a lot of different places, and we're really thankful, but we're not chasing that right now. We're going to pivot, and we just want everyone here to stay here, and we're going to grow as Christians. That's our desire. And we're going to tackle that in two ways, and we'll figure it out. But one is us. We're going to learn how to read the Bible. We're going to learn how to pray, and we're just going to engage in that together. And what that looks like, we'll, 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 we'll announce soon. But we're going to do that together, and the second part is we're going, to, we're going to figure out the kids' ministry. We're going to invest some time, energy, and money into that, that they might grow as well. That's what we're doing. And we're going to say no, maybe, to a bunch of things, but that's what we're saying yes to. You know, we see this four things in the life of Jesus in different places. But if there ever was a time when he felt the pressure of life the most, the pressure of ministry, the pressure of obeying God, it was in Matthew 26. In the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's going to be betrayed, arrested, trialed, and crucified, this moment, he's, he's, it's like he's deciding whether he's going to obey the Father. And he feels it. And so it says in verse 36, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. So number one, he gets away. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Number two, he makes prayer a priority. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. That's number three. He journeys with others and he chooses the 12. Then he chooses three out of the 12 and then he shares his heart with them. My soul is sorrowful. And he says, basically, pray with me. Pray with me. Verse 39 Going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And even here, Jesus is resolute to land on what matters most, and it is God, you matter, and your will, and what you want for my life, and that's what I'm going to end up with in the end. And that's what he does, he obeys. And you probably know the rest of the story, Jesus. Walks the path that God wants him to walk. He doesn't give up. He doesn't give in to the pressures and the burdens. He remains faithful, obediently walks to the cross. And he dies on that cross with the weight and the pressure of our sin on him. And he takes away our judgment, our condemnation, all on the cross. He pays the price. You know Jesus was in Mark 3 talking about being crushed to death and he wasn't back then but he was on the cross. He was crushed to death. Isaiah 53 it says Jesus was pierced for our, this is a prophecy about Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed he was crushed jesus was pressured for you on the cross so that he can be precious to you his death on the cross when he took the pressure of sin and the wrath of god was all done so that you might have a relationship with him so that you can say you are precious to me you are my friend my lord my king i have a relationship with you he was pressured for you so that he can be precious to you today and every day and until eternity. That's what he did on the cross. So Jesus, pressured Jesus, he gets you. He gets what it is to live a busy, burdened, high expectation life. He gets you. But he doesn't just get you. He's got you. If we come to this precious Jesus, who is yours because of the cross, if you would just get away from the busyness of life, if you would just make prayer a priority, if you would journey with fellow Christ followers that will help you find Jesus and you focus on what he says matters in your life, he'll take care of you. That's why he died for you. He saved you and he's with you. He helps you, he supports you, he's got you if you would just get him and turn to him today. So I want us to do that. Turn to this Jesus and know that he gets me because he's been pressured and know that he's got me. My precious Jesus has got me. Let's close our eyes and let's pray. I just want us to spend the next 30 seconds just speaking to God. You can whisper under your breath if you're comfortable and confident to speak out loud and that's encouraging for us as we hear you know, the church praying. It just encourages fellow brothers and sisters. But I just want you to speak to God in the next 30 seconds or maybe speak to Jesus in specific. and Just tell him or tell yourself that he, he understands what you're going through. Jesus You get what I feel. You know the burdens of my week. You know what it feels like to feel so tired, to feel like I haven't got enough sleep, to feel like there's so much expectation around me that I can't meet. Jesus, you know these feelings. And so I run to you to find rest in you, to find hope in you, to say that you are enough for me because you are my precious Jesus. So would you help me today and this week? Can we make that our prayer? Let's just take a bit of time away and make prayer a priority right now. Let's pray.